what brands have to think about today is how do they understand their audience and how do they keep speaking to that audience? We're in a world right now and much has been made about the demise of the cookie and various privacy changes and things like that. And so it's all the more important, I think, that brands really understand who is their customer base? Who are they selling to? Who's their target market? And how do they build more robust first-party data around that? obvious, in order to be a successful e-commerce brand, you have to be able to win across digital channels. But just because it's obvious doesn't mean it's easy. D2C and e-com companies, big and small, are constantly challenged to find new approaches in ever-changing online channels to engage customers and ultimately get them to hit that buy button. So how do you do it? Link Walls is the VP of Digital Marketing Strategy for Channel Advisor, and it's his job to answer that question. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Link and I discuss what kind of strategies are working, and most importantly, which ones aren't. And he let us in on how he thinks about advertising digitally native brands that are considering a move to brick and mortar. Plus, he gives advice on how to navigate through the holiday season, why shoppable TV is going to be the dominant channel of the future for brands, and which niche channels you should keep your eye on. Enjoy the conversation. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerceinsights. That's sfdc.co slash commerceinsights, one word. Before we get into the episode, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review. I really want to know what you think and hear how we're doing. All right, on to the interview. everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO over here at Mission.org. Today on the show, we have Link Walls joining us, who serves as the VP of Digital Marketing Strategy at Channel Advisor. Link, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. Welcome. I'm excited. I've always heard about Channel Advisor for a long time, ever since getting into the world of commerce. But I don't know if I can say I actually know everything you all do. So I would love to start out a bit of, you know, what is Channel Advisor? What do you all offer? Sure, sure. Let, let me go back a little bit, you know, because we actually just celebrated our 20th year in business. Um, so Channelizer was actually started way back in 2001. So that the early, early days of um, certainly of e-commerce and even kind of the early days of the Internet. And really how we got our start was um, what we were finding. We were helping sellers sell on eBay. And these were companies that were starting to sell on eBay. But they really were businesses that were selling on eBay. So this wasn't just, you know, you selling an extra pair of shoes or a sweater or something. This was, you know, companies that were coming to us and saying, look, we want to sell, you know, hundreds of computers or hundreds of servers. And the tools just really didn't exist for that at the time. 
eBay was really about, you know, onesie twosies and things like that. And, you know, I think so the, the founders of Channel Advisor saw an opportunity there and said, you know, wow, we really need to build the tools that go along with the type of commerce that's happening, right? Which is really much more than just a person-to-person, consumer-to-consumer type of arrangement. Um, and so really it was born out of that need, which was seeing a need in the market, right? How commerce is evolving and then building tools from there. And it's just continued to, to evolve on, on top of that. That's a very fun founding story. So what, what kind of tools like are you most well-known for now? You know, it really started with like, how do we actually get products listed, you know, out on a, a different channel? How do we get orders out there? And now there's really a whole suite of tools, right? So we've evolved over the years. And, and really, I think the thing that our, our two co-founders of ChannelVisor really saw, you know, really quite far ahead um, was really three things that they saw. One was really that e-commerce was going to continue to grow. And, you know, I think today we take that for granted of, of, of course, right? You know, everybody everybody shops online and all of this. Uh, but when you go back 20 years, it was very much not, uh, you know, not a certain thing, right? We've come out of a dot-com crash, right? You had sort of pets.com as sort of these held up as these failures of, of e-commerce. So, so, the, so the first really sort of thesis was that e-commerce would continue to grow. The second was that this world would get much more fragmented. And that what would come between brands and retailers and consumers was all of these different channels, right? And I think we've certainly seen that play out. And we can talk more about that in a bit if you want. And then the third was really the software as a service cloud model. So from the beginning, ChannelVisor built tools in a, in a software as a service cloud environment, you know, really back before cloud was cool or really even, a, you know, dubbed a thing as this sort of pre-AWS days. And so, you know, the result of that was a platform that, you know, started with, like I said, tools for listing on eBay, gradually evolved into, you know, tools for other channels, right? So, you know, how do you get a product listed on Amazon? How do you make sure your prices are competitive on Amazon? You know, how do you make sure that if you're, you know, a small business or, or a medium-sized business and you know, you've got 50, 50 computers to sell that you don't sell all of them on multiple channels all at once? How do you synchronize all of that inventory, all of that uh all of those transactions. And so, so it's really evolved beyond that sort of initial use case into really a full suite of tools that, that helps brands and retailers really be successful with their e-com strategy, whether that's selling through you know, a marketplace like eBay or, or Walmart or Amazon or many others, or advertising. So advertising through Google or Facebook or, or other places, or, or just having tools to understand their business and understand what the world around them looks like. So the analytics, and that's been a big part of, of our push over the last several years is really beefing out, like, what does that analytics mean? How do we give more tools and insights to our customers so they really understand their true presence online? What does that look like? How well is it doing? Where, where are their opportunities for improvement? I can imagine it's been a lot of growth since you've been there. You've been there since about 2005? Correct. Yeah, 2005. Yeah. Nice. So when thinking about the digital strategy today, I mean, this past year, two years have, you know, of course, been a very big shakeup. What are some things maybe that you see brands doing that you feel like are a little bit ahead of the curve right now that you would maybe advise or already are advising other clients to kind of look into? I think what brands have to think about today is, you know, how do they understand their audience and how do they keep speaking to that audience, right? We're in a world right now, and, and there's much has been made about you know the demise of the cookie and various privacy changes and things like that. And so it's all the more important, I think, that brands really understand who is their customer base, who are they selling to, who's their target market, 
And, you know, how do they build more robust first-party data around that? So I think one of the things I see brands doing is sort of thinking a bit ahead of this and really making sure that they understand who are they going after and how do they really get smarter about marketing to them, right? Just because, you know, just because I buy something from a brand once doesn't mean that, you know, I really need to be emailed by them, you know, 20 times a month for, you know, from here until the end of time. And so I think those brands that are getting a more nuanced version and view into their customer data and understanding preferences and things like that, you know, ultimately with the goal of, you know, how do they create a more personalized experience? And I think sometimes personalization is one of those ones like mobile, where it always feels like it's just around the corner, right? And I remember in the early days of mobile commerce, it was always like, just coming next year, you know, next year will be the year of mobile. And I think all of this customer data can really amount to really getting a better view of how do you talk to your customer? How do you build a relationship with the customer? So I'm thinking about when it comes to first-party data, we had on someone from Anheuser-Busch back in the day, and they were just talking about all these roundabout ways of how they're trying to get first-party data because they're not even actually allowed to talk to their customer. And it was so interesting hearing how they think about things and how they were exploring different giveaways and just really like trying so hard to be able to connect with them. Are there any interesting ways that you see brands connecting with their customers who probably have it a lot easier than Anheuser-Busch or any of the bigger beverage companies like that? Yeah, I think they they have some, I mean, they have some restrictions just based on the space that they're in. They can obviously only do so many things. Um, you know, we, we see things like trying to get engagement through social, you know, giveaways in some cases. But I think ultimately it comes down to, you know, consumers are smarter about this stuff, right? And they they understand it's a transactional relationship there. And so making sure that they're understanding exactly why are they handing over this information if they're trying to collect data. So, so that's sort of a couple of the ways. It's, it's hard. I'll tell you, though, it's hard. It's, it's, not a, it's not an easy problem to solve right now. Yeah. Do you think every brand should be optimizing for this? Like with how everything is looking and headed, should every brand be aiming for a way to obtain first party data? I think they should, because I think ultimately brands, you know, as much as possible, right? And, and so obviously within Channel Advisor, we sit in a world where, you know, we're really optimizing for how traffic comes through all these different channels, right? So how do you position yourself on Amazon or Google or, or Instagram or wherever? But I think ultimately, the more that brands can build that relationship and can get people coming back to them directly, ultimately, that's going to result in a better ROI, a better lifetime value for that relationship. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty critical. Tell me a bit about some online advertising strategies that you think are going to be working now and even over the next couple of years. What are some things that you see working right now? Really, when we think about online advertising, really our our philosophy is that you need to be everywhere as a a brand or a retailer. The consumers are more empowered now than ever before, right? So when you think about where do you shop, right? You have so many choices today that the modern consumer does, right? Whether that's doing a search on Amazon or on Google or seeing an ad on TikTok or, or anywhere else. So as we work with brands and retailers on advertising, it's really about how do we get as broader reach as possible? How do we make sure that our products are in front of that consumer, no matter where he or she is, right? Wherever, wherever they're shopping. The balance there obviously is profitability, right? And so it's, it's one thing to say, we want to put everything out there but really to, to be able to do it at scale and do it in a way that's profitable, you have to really be smart about what's working and, and what's not working. So we spend a lot of time and, and, and you know, invest a lot in our platform into really how do we get good feedback loops around advertising? You know, one of the things I say is often is that anytime we're getting data back, so let's say we go run a campaign, the beauty of digital advertising is we're getting near instant feedback, right? We can run a campaign and within 24 hours, 
you know, we know that didn't work or that worked great or this part was good, this part wasn't good. And so really taking all those data points that we get back and then building feedback loops. So then we're, we're just to oversimplify it, you know, we're doing more of the stuff that works and less of the stuff that doesn't work. What's not working? What are some things that you thought were going to work and then they actually haven't been working? There are times where we just miss the mark and where, you know, we have either products that just aren't a good fit and we push hard and try to get them in front of the consumer and, and ultimately they don't work. I'd say, you know, most of the channels and programs we work through, whether it's through Google or Amazon, I would say there aren't really any that just don't work at all. It's sometimes that maybe somebody has unrealistic expectations. You know, for instance, if you're running sort of more of, you know, what is known as an upper funnel, right? So more building awareness and you go into that campaign and you're really focused on how many conversions are we driving, right? What's the return on ad spend of this, the very immediate thing? Brands are going to be disappointed because that's not really what that's meant to do, right? It's really meant to build awareness, get people to talking about your brand, coming back through other, other channels. So I think where we see things don't work, it's often where we have sort of a misalignment between maybe expectations and sort of, are we maybe using the wrong platform for, for the goals that we're trying to hit? When a brand comes to you, I mean, do you have a process where you go about and you kind of audit them where they're at? And if so, like, what kind of maybe things do you see up front where you're like, oh, I keep seeing this among all these companies that keep coming, it, you know, they keep having these same three things that I would maybe adjust? Or do they all have such different problems that it's like each one's a snowflake? It's pretty snowflakey. <laughs> That's a good line. Pretty snowflakey. Yeah, it's pretty snowflakey. Um, yeah, there's a lot of difference because so many brands are just in different stages of, of their life cycle, right? Some are creating a brand new brand and they really have no brand awareness, right? Maybe they're entering a category that's very crowded. Others, in a lot of cases, will find brands who, you know, maybe have been very successful on one channel. So maybe they've been very successful, let's say, on Amazon and they built a very healthy business there. But then how do they translate that to other channels, right? How do they get people looking for them, coming back to their website, finding them through Google or through, through other places? It is pretty unique in terms of how we look at each of those. But generally speaking, when I'm speaking with a brand, one of the things I always try to, just as a foundational, and I think sometimes, you know, as people turn over in companies and, and, and sometimes this gets lost and when you see brands sort of, sort of go astray is really kind of going back to that origin story of like, well, why does this brand even exist? Why does this product exist? Like what problem were we trying to solve? What did not exist in the world that we said, this needs to be out there? Ultimately, how do we think about what that is, who that audience is? And then ultimately, we think about how advertising and reach, it's ultimately just finding more of those people and sort of fueling that, that flywheel. But I think sometimes, like I said, especially in bigger companies where people turn over and it's not really clear, like, do we really have a focus here? Um, and so I think we always try to get that as much as we can because then it, the, the marketing part of it's a lot easier, right? If you've got that and you, yeah, we're looking for, you know, a person who's looking for this or trying to solve this need, then it becomes a lot easier to think about, all right, how do we go about finding them in a way that is an efficient use of our, our ad dollars? Is there any specific way that you like finding new customers like that? Like, are you guys thinking about content? I mean, you hear about all these brands becoming media companies, media companies becoming brands. Like, is that an angle you're pushing hard? Or how do you go about finding those new customers in different ways that maybe that brand has not even thought about? For where we fit. I mean, there are a lot of people that do that. And I think that can be an effective strategy. That's really less of our focus. Our focus is more of how do we go out and look at, I especially love search marketing and Part of the reason I love it so much is that, you know, it's really the only medium 
where the consumer is telling you in exactly their own words what they're looking for. And so, you know, all too often we can find that demand that's out there, right? And so it's a matter of tailoring, starting with campaigns to sort of cast a little bit of a wider net, but then ultimately seeing what works and what doesn't work. You know, oh, when she searches using these words, we tend to do pretty well. And when she searches using these words, we're not a good fit, right? And so let's use that as a, a data point and adjust our strategy from there. So what we find is it tends to work best to start in, a, in a, a field like paid search, right? Paid search and shopping, because we get so much good data on what is the consumer exactly typing? What are they exactly looking for? And that can then be used to fuel, okay, how would we go after things on YouTube? Or how would we go after things on, on Instagram or Facebook? But that's a really foundational element is, is that, because it tells us a lot, like I said, about what, what works and what doesn't work for that brand. When I'm thinking about the consumer searching for things in these long tail search keywords, how are you kind of keeping up on the trends, but also not letting your models kind of getting influenced by like, like this past year, I can imagine people are searching for things in a very different way. And maybe this past year shouldn't be relied on for next couple of years. Like maybe that was just kind of, you know, a one off. How do you make sure that your model's not kind of going crazy based off of what just happened and kind of keep it focused on like, okay, stay true to your principles. We know this long tail keyword is the one that we should be going after. It's a good point because Behavior, you know, we do certainly did see, you know, over the last, whatever it's been, 18 months or so, 20 months, you know, we did see changes in terms of how people shop, right? Of course. And it's really a combination of sort of learning from that recency of the data, but not being overly influenced by it, right? So the things that still worked before, and, and I'd say in most cases, it's not like there was wholesale shifts. It really was more, if there was wholesale shifts, it was really within categories of products, right? So you know, maybe certain categories, you know, loungewear and uh, sweatpants and, you know, yoga pants and things like that maybe did really well and dress shoes, not so much. But at the end of the day, if somebody was searching for dress shoes, right, that probably still worked okay, you know, because there was still a, a need there. Um, and so I think that's part of the beauty of it is that if you, if you can set up these campaigns and get them automated in a way, they can really adapt really on their own to what the demand looks like, as long as you have things set up right and, and you get those feedback loops working. Yeah, I was just imagining the consumer, I mean, even myself over this past year of just kind of having the time to go on there and do extra research and sit around and kind of wait and probably searching for things in probably a way that I would not have done even a year or two ago. And so just trying to think about how to convince someone like me to actually push that buy button in probably a landscape that doesn't feel as rushed as it would have back in the day. Yeah, I mean, we definitely saw, I mean, we certainly saw a lift. It was interesting early on, we thought, you know, one of the things we thought was that, you know, maybe we'll see less searches from mobile devices because people, you know, especially in the first couple of months, right? People were really homebound, a lot of people at least. And and it was interesting is that, you know, this was a hypothesis we had. Turns out to turned out to be wrong. We saw maybe a couple of days where mobile traffic really dipped, but then it went right back up. And so it was, it was really interesting to see that, you know, even though people weren't on the go, they were still very much shopping through mobile as the predominant platform they were using. Were they being more deliberative? Maybe, right? So that's hard to see, right? Because if, if they had more time or whatever else, we, we know for sure they watched a lot of Netflix and they watched a lot of YouTube uh, and a lot of other content over the last year and a half. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, 
Work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't talk about publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. How are you advising your companies around like their brick and mortar strategy? Because one interesting thing that I've heard a couple of times is that everyone's kind of celebrating these DTC companies who have this fast growth. And if you actually look at the SKUs at Walmart, it's like just one of those can make up for an entire company that is maybe being celebrated for its revenue growth. And so it made me start thinking like, oh, I want to look at what's at Walmart and how they're actually performing or what's at Target. But how are you advising your companies that come in who maybe are those D2C brands who've never even thought about having a retail strategy. So you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, for all of the celebration of the D2C brands that are sort of disruptors in the market, most of those pale in comparison to, you know, what Target can do with the launch of a new brand in three to six months. I mean, absolutely. Distribution clearly matters. You know, I think in general, what we would advise them is really, again, it kind of goes back to being true to their customer. Does opening a store create do they have something unique to say, I guess? Is there something unique that that store can do, right? Is it the experience? Is it, you know, what is it about that store that can really set them apart? If there's not that, then really what you're recreating is sort of, you know, an omni-channel retailer that maybe there's no real reason to go into the store, right? At that point, that's just a lot of overhead and a lot of expense for really not a differentiated retail experience. Those D2C brands that understand, you know, how to create, you know, whether it's a showroom or a curated experience or, you know, think about a Warby Parker, right, where you can, you know, obviously try on glasses and get them adjusted and this and that. So having some sort of differentiated experience, I think, is really key for those, those D2C brands. Yeah, thinking about what that experience could be is always interesting. We had on Dick Sporting Good, and they were talking about how they were building entire stores just around having, you know, an entire golf experience and some other things like that. And I'm like, how can brands kind of lean into that strategy? How can you be innovative and create something that makes people want to come in? Because at least here in Austin, you see this pent up demand of people wanting to come and do things in person and wanting to go to concerts. And, you know, they're really waiting for that. But then trying to think about the strategies that a brand can implement that's different, definitely feels hard when you kind of look to the ones who are already out there, like the Warby Parkers and Bonobos and stuff. And trying to think different seems like a pretty big challenge for some of them. I think it is. And it really goes back to sort of like, well, what do you what do you have to say that's different than anything else that's out there? I think the Dick Sporting Goods is a really good example of how do you create, you know, a customized, differentiated experience. And, you know, it's almost the same challenge that movie theaters have, right? I mean, one of the things you see with movie theaters these days, right? It's a very, that's a really even a more challenging industry in a lot of ways, but they're trying to differentiate the experience, right? Through better food or alcohol or other things. I think the same is true with retail, right? If I can just shop from my couch on my phone, why do I want to drive 15 minutes to go to a store, right? So is there some experience there? Is it that I can go and I can hit golf balls into a net and I can try things out? One of the retailers that I think has figured this out for a long time has been REI. Certainly very knowledgeable 
people that work there that are passionate about whatever the topic is, whether it's canoeing or biking or, or whatever, but has always sort of had some of those experiential elements. And I think that's, you got to give a reason for people to go because the online is just so convenient. And so if the, if the only reason to go is just, well, we're, we're in the mall, well, that's not really enough in 2021. No. Yeah. Malls. Hmm. I also think that if you can't offer a big experience like an REI or something, because maybe you just sell t-shirts, then how about leaning into partnerships? We've had a couple guests come on the show who've talked about, you know, they sell, I think one was little burgundy shoes. And so of course there's all shoes, which you can make an experience out of that. But then they started partnering with other people who were on their street and having these events and thinking about like, there's so many other brands that probably also need something else to leverage that you could tap into. That seems like a still an opportunity that I haven't seen leveraged enough, at least with some of the newer companies popping up and trying to get the word out there. Yeah. I mean, I think that the challenge for some of those brands is they, they're such a narrow, you know, maybe have such a narrow focus, right? If all we sell is socks, it's like, well, what exactly is that experience? Unless you're Bombas, then I guess you can do you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I think you're right. I think partnering with others could be a very effective approach to come up with something new and different. So let's talk about holidays. One, I love holidays. Christmas is my favorite thing. So, which most people already know that who listen to this. But what are you all seeing right now around like holiday shopping data? I keep hearing, at least people keep coming to me because I have three kids. They're like, toys, you won't be able to get toys this year. There's a shortage. So much FOMO around that. There's a lot of FOMO around that. Jeez. So one, tell me if that's true because I'm not doing any early shopping. And then two, for everyone else who's listening, what are you seeing behind the scenes? I think it is true. I would be, I would be worried. (laughs) So, so, you know, we're in the midst of really just a massive supply chain crisis. If you're not familiar, I mean, we've got, I don't even know what the count is right now, but you know, all these ships off the port of Long Beach and Los Angeles, you can't get containers, you can't get trucks, right? You can't find enough truckers. You know, we've spent the last, you know, 30 years building very efficient, just-in-time supply chains. And when there's disruptions in those, they ripple out and it's kind of a mess. It's very much real. And so I think it's going to take time. And I think this is going to last well into 2022 before things get normalized and back on track. So I do think for holiday, I think there's a lot of concern around that. And so in terms of sort of your average consumer, I think it depends a lot on what you're shopping for. If you're really focused on you know, buying a very specific thing for your daughter, that might be challenging to get it. If it's more like, I need a gift for my brother and it's I need a sweater. Well, there's, there's going to be sweaters available, right? It may not be the exact same one you are looking for. And it hits in really random places, right? So sometimes it's just components. It's just other things that have sort of mucked up the supply chain. Anything with chips, people should be worried about. Anything with <laughs> chips, yes, you should, you should definitely be worried about. So, so if, you were, if you're planning on buying a car for Christmas, that could be a challenge this year. You're out of luck. Yeah. So we'll see. I don't know if Lexus will run those ads or not this year or not with the uh, the bows of the... I doubt that. They won't be able to fulfill it. That's what I've kind of heard, that they're like telling people they have inventory, not just Lexus, but just in general, car brands saying they have inventory. And then when you buy it, they're like, oh, sorry about that. It's actually like six months from now that you can get your car. Right. Yeah. We, we can deliver it to you Friday. Unfortunately, it's Friday in 2022. Yep. Yep. So yeah, so I think I think holiday, I mean, we we saw retail numbers came out yesterday. They were strong for October. I think there's a lot of part of what is making this supply chain crisis even worse is that the consumer demand is pretty strong right now. It's not only that we're having trouble getting things through ports and, and manufactured and everything else, but at the same time, consumers are buying a lot. There's a lot of demand out there. So 
I think we'll see, you know, a strong holiday. I think we'll see an early start to holiday because I think as consumers, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you turn on the Today Show and they're like, Christmas may be ruined by the supply chain Grinch, that drives people to act. And sort of it's, you know, not unlike the great toilet paper shortage of, of 2020 or these other things, but the psychology takes over. Is the buying amounts higher than the previous years? Or do you think it's just coming earlier and then it'll kind of peak and then go down earlier than it normally would? Or is it actually just up all around? I think in terms of digital and online, we'll see up all around. I think I think when all is said and done, you know, if I had to predict today, I'd say, I think we will see a shift to buying earlier. And really, that's a shift that's been going on for probably the last five or six years. It was a couple of years ago, maybe two or three years ago, Amazon started doing their Black Friday deal starting November 1st. So what happens is every brand and retailer says, I don't want to be late. And so they keep going earlier and earlier and earlier. I remember when my my son was a bit younger than he is now, we were driving around and there was an ad on the radio and he was probably he was probably eight or nine. And uh, some ad for Black Friday. And he, he asked me in all seriousness, he said, Dad, is every Friday Black Friday? It is now in 2021. It just feels that way. So I think we, we've seen this trend of things going earlier and earlier in the season. I think we'll see even more of that this year because people are worried about missing out. So what should brands be doing right now then to prepare for this already increased demand? Like, are there some things that they should maybe be looking into right now? I think brands in general are trying to you know make sure that whatever stock they have, right, that they're really pushing that. We've worked with a number of people on how do we get smarter about anticipating you know, if we if we know we're going to sell out of a product, let's back off on advertising it before we're all the way out, right? And so, how do we take some of these systems and really integrate it through? You know, it's part of what we do at, at Channel Advisors, integrate that together. So, and we have this signal that says, look, the rest of these goods are on a ship somewhere, and we're not going to get them in time for holiday. So, you know, let's shift advertising dollars from that product over to to something else. We've been, you know, encouraging everyone, you know, in terms of as they're advertising. If the demand is there, take advantage of it, right? And so if you're seeing a good return on, on the budget you're spending, take advantage of it, right? Because again, if, if that season shifts earlier, that demand may not be there come you know, mid-December, maybe the way it was in, in years past. So, so take advantage of the demand. And, and more than anything, it's, it's really staying agile and, and, and nimble and being able to roll with the punches of what the consumer is doing and, and what we're seeing in the demand data. So the other piece I wanted to touch on was around shoppable TV. I've you know had this come up quite often throughout a lot of the interviews and brands saying it's really working for them. And now they're even exploring traditional TV. What are your thoughts around TV in general? You know, I think an exciting part of digital advertising is around OTT, right? And around getting more advertising onto that surface. You know, if you take a big step back and you you look at things like, you know, Amazon Prime Video, you look at YouTube TV. The biggest advertising platforms in the world, there's a reason they're in that business, right? It gives them a whole lot more eyeballs, right? It gives them a whole lot more ways to get in front of consumers. So, you know, I think in general, you know, TV and then and YouTube as well, right, is an area where, you know, we're seeing a lot of growth, a lot of success. And really, the changing nature of it is such that, you know, it's not, you don't need to be a brand that's so big where you're spending, you know, $2 million to go create an ad on whatever show, but you can really be much more targeted and, and, and go in much smaller increments um, and still get in front of that consumer. And is that around like a brand creating an entire YouTube channel or just focusing on ads or always doing both? 
So in some cases, it's, yeah, creating a YouTube channel and putting out organic content. A lot of what we do and what we're seeing YouTube is really shifting from really a big brand reach kind of a channel into one that's much more shoppable in nature. So we're seeing stronger call to action through the ads that YouTube's rolling out. And I think that's going to be continue to be a big area of growth because the signals are all there, right, in terms of what you're doing, what you're looking at. And so it's a really good place to to get in front of consumers, show them products, and then sort of walk them through a seamless shopping experience. Yeah, I completely agree. We just started putting all of our content on YouTube in the past couple of months. And it's funny, it's always been there, but it seems like this past year, it's like, yeah, of course, why isn't you know everyone kind of on there and tapping into that channel? And yeah, it's being used for a lot of different things, which is cool to watch the transition now. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So when thinking about channel advisor and specifically your role there, what do you plan on doing in the next like two to three years? Like where do you see yourself being or what big projects are you going to tackle next? So our mission at Channel Advisor, let me take a step back, is to, to connect and optimize the world's commerce. And that's something that, you know, we've been working on for quite a while and we'll continue to work on. You know, I think in terms of the things that I'm really excited about, probably the biggest one is just around, you know, what we call retail media which is the advertising on retail sites. So places like Amazon or Walmart, you know, we're seeing tremendous growth there. And I think we're going to really expand out. You'll see us do more in that area um, in terms of more platforms, more channels. I mean, a core part of Channel Advisor has always been that we're expanding the channels that we support. We're in the midst of a project right now to add, um, I think, upwards of uh, close to 100 marketplaces around the world. And so it's really all about how do we help that brand or retailer that comes to Channel Advisor get their data in as many places as possible. So I think expanding sort of the footprint and the reach of what we do is probably what I'm most excited about. And it sort of furthers our mission and continues us on this path of how do we help brands and retailers be more successful and really win online? You know, and having been in an online retailer, I know this stuff is hard. And it's, um, you know, I think having a partner that can help you sort of get that reach in in a world where, the channels are always changing. The rules are always changing. The APIs are always changing is really exciting. And, you know, that's, that's, what's fun is helping, helping our customers win. That's cool. A hundred channels. Wow. That's all. okay. So do you see any channels bubbling up right now in that hundred or in general that you're like, people should be on this. This one looks pretty hot. Like a lot of people are going to like this one. Any smaller ones, maybe? A lot of them are very small and often very niche, right? So very specialized for just certain categories, for instance. I'd say the one that's maybe not as familiar in the U.S. is Zalando in Europe. Not a small channel by any means, but tremendous growth there, you know, and really has expanded, um, you know, outside of some of its initial footprint of categories to a lot more brands, a lot more reach. Um, and that one has grown, grown very quickly for us. And I think, I think we'll continue to see growth there. What's on that and how do you spell it? I haven't heard of that one. Oh, so Zalando. So uh, Z-A-L-A-N-D-O. Okay. It's fashion primarily. They sort of started as you know, almost very similar to Zappos in the U.S. Shoes, apparel, fashion, and you have really expanded the reach and, and grown pretty dramatically. Wow. Now, that's cool thinking about you all being kind of like the central hub that can be doing all the work behind the scenes. So the brand can come in and tap into all those channels and already know that everything's already buttoned up, that they don't have to kind of stay up to date with every subtle change that's happening throughout the weeks or months. That's what we really, I mean, we often sort of think of ourselves as we want to buffer our client from all of that turbulence that's going on. Just because, you know, Walmart's making changes to their API, that shouldn't have to, if we can, we don't even need to let the brand know about that, right? It's just that those are the things that we've just taken care of and it just continues to work. 
All right, let's shift over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Link? Okay, do my best. All right. What's the best piece of business advice that you've heard and that you actually go on and tell others now? I'll mangle it here, but from Warren Buffett, which is to really never invest in something that you don't understand, at least at some point. That's definitely Buffett. I love that. It's great. What's one thing that you don't understand today that you wish you did? The whole new world of Web 3.0, all of that. I'm sort of scratching the surface, but I, I can't claim to understand it yet, but it's on my list. If you were to have a podcast, what would it be about and who would your first guest be? I mean, the obvious answer would be e-commerce, but I'll give you something probably a little bit more personal. I, th- I think um, financial literacy, I think it's something that that most people, you know, I don't think we teach it enough to kids. I don't think we teach it enough to adults of, of all ages. You know, and I feel pretty fortunate that I had a strong background there and, and teacher and, and my parents and probably something around that to help people just sort of better understand financial literacy. I completely agree on that one. What's your favorite question to ask a potential new hire when you're interviewing them? Well, I mean, I often ask people, what do they think is going to be hardest about the job to try to gauge sort of do they have a realistic expectation of what they are taking on? Um, And I think that's true really at any level, right? It could be somebody who's brand new right out of school, taking an entry level job, and it could be a new executive. It's sort of how much of a realistic sense do they have of what their next X number of weeks, months, years looks like. You know, it's a uh, red flag when they're like, nothing. It all seems like a cakewalk. <laughs> yes, it should be fine. It should be easy. Yeah. No. Yeah. All right. Next. All right. And the last question, tell me about a time when you made a powerful choice. I'd say probably coming to Channel Advisor. You know, I was at an online retailer that had been sold and so needed to do something else and was making a decision between, you know, a couple of different options. And I had zero idea that I would still be at the same company 15, 16 years later. Um, it was not all planned out. I, I would have told you you're crazy if I said that. But I think ultimately, I, I bought into the idea. I thought it was an interesting vision. I knew it was solving real problems that I'd seen happen in the real world. And I said, yeah, let's do it. And uh, that was a powerful choice. Well, Link, thank you so much for spending time here today, giving us all your knowledge. It was really, really fun. Where can any person listening find out more about Channel Advisor or connect with you? Yeah, so easiest place is just go to our website. So www.channeladvisor.com. Um, you'll find Channel Advisor on, on all the social channels. You'll find me on Twitter, occasionally tweeting about e-commerce, music, and whatever else is on my mind at the moment at Link Walls. Amazing. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Stephanie. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.